This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. In a week where Manchester City have been front and centre of the news off the pitch, Pep Guardiola's side have made sure to do their talking on it, scoring 12 goals across two games and pretty much securing qualification for the knockout phase of the Champions League. On this week's Blue Moon podcast, we'll be analysing the performances against Southampton and Shakhtar, asking just how far City can go this season. After all, it was this stage last term when they really began to kick into gear. So could the same be happening right now? We'll take a look at the allegations in De Spiegel and find out how City fans are feeling about the financial fair play situation. Plus, we'll take a look at whether or not the team has become adept to tactical fouls after Gary Neville's comments were put to the manager. With Sunday's Manchester derby to preview and your questions to answer in Ask the Panel, let's get cracking. I'm your host for this week, Sam Roscoe, and I'm joined by City fans, the gruesome twosome, Murd and Andy Fellers. Thank you very much. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, not bad at all. How are you feeling after a week of some excellent football and obviously a big weekend coming up? Oh, well, uh, well, um, great, actually, to be honest with you. I think um, we're sort of... Uh, in the swing of things for the derby, aren't we? Um, two good wins. Um, I like. You know, I don't think we should get complacent either, obviously, because I think United are a very, very good side and can hurt anybody. So uh, no complacency. But I think we're in a, a good, a really good, strong form. So hopefully we can get the win. Yeah, I'm. Um, I think we. I think you're right. I think it does conjure up memories of last season where we just went into a different gear. We seem to sort of go. Three points ahead, more and more every week. So every week it'd be another three points, it'd be another three points. It won't be like that this season. It might be one or two points, but I do get the feeling that we're we mean business again this season, and I can see us opening up a gap. Albeit we've got United and, and Chelsea that 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 stand out, but I, I would be would be very surprised if we weren't ahead in January. Well, we'll come to the on-field action shortly, but first, there have been allegations this week that City haven't been following the rules when it comes to money. German magazine Der Spiegel claims it's seen leaked documents that suggest City look to get around financial fair play regulations and there have been calls for UEFA to investigate. One Football's Dan Burke, based in Germany, explains the latest. German magazine Der Spiegel have released a series of so-called exposés uh, based on leaked emails obtained by an organisation known as Football Leaks. And they contain various allegations regarding how City is supposed to try to sort of circumnavigate UEFA's financial fair play regulations over the last few years. I'm talking to you on a Wednesday, so three of those have been released so far and there's two more to come. Um, they claim City knew that they were going to fail compliance with financial fair play in spring 2013. So they allegedly arranged a number of overinflated sponsorship deals with Abu Dhabi-based companies. And one of those deals was valued at 15 million annually. Um, the emails appear to show that City only actually received 3 million back from the actual company. And the 12 million shortfall is alleged to have come from Sheikh Mansour himself. And there's a variety of deals of a similar kind of uh, structure. Um, instantly, UEFA actually altered their financial fair plays rules in 2015. This kind of, let's call it creative accounting, is actually now perfectly fine by them, provided the club in question can demonstrate a path to future sustainability. And the second expose that came out on Tuesday alleged that City had sold the players' marketing rights to external companies, meaning those expenditures wouldn't show up on the balance sheet. 
Um, in 2014, City were fined around £50 million for breaching financial fair play rules. Um, but emails show that then UEFA General Secretary and now FIFA President Gianni Infantino um, worked with the club to agree what was a rather lenient punishment. If you recall, City had certain squad and transfer restrictions placed upon them ahead of the 2014-15 season, but that fine was later reduced to £20 million after certain conditions were met. Um, City threatened to sue UEFA at the time, which also perhaps explains why the punishment was so lenient and begs the question whether UEFA were actually concerned about how the legality of financial fair play would stand up in court. And today's report on, on Wednesday is perhaps the tamest one so far, really. It focused mainly on the human rights situation in Abu Dhabi, which is, isn't really new information. It's been quite well documented before. Um, and it also reveals that Pep Guardiola signed his contract with City nine months before taking charge of the club while he was still at Bayern Munich, which, you know, big deal. Now, obviously, uh, there's been uh, quite questions over what City fans think about it. Earlier on, we spoke to some fans uh, in Manchester. This is what they had to say. Financial fair play should be about keeping clubs sustainable, stopping clubs going under. And, I mean, you've seen the amount of stuff they've built over that part of town. There doesn't really seem to be any danger of them going under. So is it actually more to just create a big sort of closed shop of big clubs that are already dead rich? City never had money for many, many years. And now they've got it. I just wonder whether it's people having a little gold to maybe jealousy. I don't know. I don't know the full facts, but I think that uh, the uh, the elite don't really want City to be amongst them. I suppose you include Chelsea and um, and Paris Saint Germain in that as well. The financial fair play. If there's any wrongdoing, they'll have to accept the blame. But uh, you do get the impression that it, that in certain quarters they want to sort of restrict the movement of these new clubs coming forward with money. I think there's a bias against City anyway because of the traditional clubs don't want newcomers coming in as they see I think what City are so no, I'm not worried. People said this in the pub you chat to your friends people talked about this for years you know saying you know various things a bit of jealousy from the Reds and that but uh, no it's part and parcel of the game you've had United you've had Barcelona and these teams spending £200 million on players so you know We'll see what comes from it. Now, just listening to that, Dan, do you do you kind of feel the same that 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 City fans, you know, there's there's probably not really much to worry about. Yeah, I mean, I don't think City fans should be blindly defending the club over this. As I understand it, when City agreed to pay the fine they paid in 2014, the agreement was legally binding, and therefore I'm not sure whether UEFA could actually punish the club further now, even if they wanted to. I suppose the other way of looking at the story is asking yourself whether financial fair play really was actually fair in the first place. I mean, it's a fundamentally good idea intended to stop clubs doing what happened to Leeds or Portsmouth are going bankrupt. And in that regard, it was a success because it did kind of halt that problem. Uh, but it also feels like it was designed to protect the interests of a small group of clubs. So, you know, part of that group because they kind of got their foot in the door just before it closed. But, you know, look at what financial fair play has done to leagues like the Bundesliga and Serie A. Juventus have won seven titles in a row over there. Bayern Munich have won six. The Premier League title has changed hands every season since 2009, so there's very little evidence to suggest that the investment that's been made in City has actually had a detrimental effect on English football. You could even argue it's been good for English football and for the City of Manchester, certainly. Um, if anything, I think financial fair play has made football even less competitive than it was before. I can understand the moral objection that people have to these state-funded clubs like City and PSG, but allowing commercial behemoths like Manchester United or Real Madrid, who themselves are more or less state-funded, by the way, to have a monopoly on all the best players and coaches surely isn't fair either. And is having an official cup noodle partner really that much more admirable than a wealthy individual ploughing their own money into their own business? And just finally, Dan, I just want to get your thoughts on, on how the story's been covered because City fans have been, have been quite defensive about the, the, the way the media have treated it as well. What I found really frustrating is nobody in the mainstream media seems to be interested in having a discussion about the context and circumstances surrounding this issue 
all of the allegations seem to have just been taken completely at face value. And some of the, the reaction from people who really should know better has been borderline hysterical, I think. It feels like lots of journalists and fans of other clubs are kind of delighted that they've now got a few more sticks to beat City with. And there seems to be an appetite to blow what are actually quite mundane revelations out of all proportion. Um, one journalist who I won't name uh, described the contents of today's expose as extraordinary revelations. I'm thinking, did we read the same article there or what? Um, the, the most balanced and analytical and insightful piece I've read on this subject so far was written by a guy called Kieran Maguire. His website is priceoffootball.com and I'd urge people to seek that out because it's really interesting. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. We have to make it clear at this stage that these are allegations. Manchester City released a statement in response saying we will not be providing any comment on out-of-context materials purposely hacked or stolen from City Football Group and Manchester City personnel and associated people. The attempt to damage the club's reputation is organised and clear. Meanwhile, in a statement, UEFA said it could not comment on specific cases due to confidentiality obligations. So uh, that is that on all those allegations with financial fair play. Time to move on. And as we've just heard, there's been plenty of possible distractions off the pitch. But it certainly didn't affect City's performance this week, did it, guys? With the 6-1 against Southampton and the, the 6-0 win over Shakhtar Dinex. Pretty... Uh, Pretty comfortable in both games. Really comfortable. Um, not two of the, the strongest opponents you'll ever get, so maybe you know that's helped. But <clears throat> ultimately, the, the Southampton game was um, was superb. We 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 could have had again similar to the to the Burnley game, similar to the the Huddersfield game, and many others. Uh, we could have had double double figures. We were we were fantastic, and again, it always brings an excitement to the crowd when he picks that front three such an exciting front three uh, and indeed the two silvers and fernandinho they just it was just a masterclass and then last night against shakhtar again we were superb again shakhtar uh, worryingly poor at the back but we took our opportunities really well it was so good to see jesus get his uh, his hat trick especially that that last finish which was sublime mm. uh, but i thought we we just performed admirably in both games and again um, it sets us up well for Sunday. It certainly feels like this season is beginning to kick into gear. How do you feel, Andy? Yeah, I th- well, I, I think if we can get through Sunday with a win, I think it's been pretty much perfect, really, to be quite honest with you. I mean, we'll have gone to Arsenal and got a win. We'll have gone to Spurs, got a win. Would have got a draw at Liverpool. Mm. Um, if we can get a, if we can get a victory on Sunday. Um, then we go to Chelsea, not being beaten by any of our rivals, if you like. Um, and so I think it's been a great start. I think you, you look at the amount of goals. I think we've scored more goals at this stage this year, the same stage this year than we did last. We've certainly defensively tightened up a little bit more as well. Uh, Laporte Stones uh, seem to now be the number one pairing, and they're both playing so well. I mean, they're both naturally gifted footballers, but uh, defensively, uh, superb as well. Um, you know, you've mentioned the, the the players in front of them, but I think um, Walker's been, you know, compared to last year, Walker's not quite been there the same. And Mendy, uh, you know, I expect a little bit more from him, but that's going to come. Um, you know, these players are very, very good players. It'll come. Um, so I think there's another level for us to go a little bit, which is a bit frightening. Mm. With that, with we can yeah. get that width going. Um, but I think I think the, I think Mares has been a fantastic addition. 
I think he really has. I think he's put pressure on Sterling and, and Sane, two young lads who have stepped up, especially Sterling this season. I think Sterling has been outstanding. Um, it's not just his, his end product, which has been, uh, again, been very good this year. It's been his work rate. His work rate is phenomenal. He never gives up. I've seen him lose the ball, which is natural. He's a winger. He's going to try and take people on. He'll lose the ball. The first thing he does is turn and sprint back and try and get it back. And, you know, I can forgive most. I can forgive him losing the ball if he goes and gets it back himself. I'm sure Pep can as well, you know. So, yeah, it's been tremendous. I think we're, I think we're doing really well. So far, three teams unbeaten in the league. Do you think this year will be tougher to win? Yeah, it'll be tougher. Yeah. A tougher, and, and I'm not speaking out of turn when I say I, I still think we'll win it because the the evidence is there. Um, but I think Liverpool will be closer, although it looks for all the world that they're running out a little bit of a steam or, or already. But Chelsea uh, look really good, really pleasing on the eye. That midfield three they've got um, looks pretty good. Obviously, they've got Hazard as well. Um, but Morata's scoring a couple of goals. So it won't be 19 points. I also expect United to go on a run, by the way, yeah, so which, I, yeah. which won't please everybody, but they'll go on a run as well. So Arsenal, that, Arsenal as well. Arsenal, they're on a, they're well, on a Arsenal, I watched their game, I think, with the way at Palace, and they've got some of that nastiness back that yeah. they had yeah. many moons ago with Vieira and Petit. Yeah. So they won't be messing around either. So I think the challenges will be bigger this time in individual games. It won't be as easy. Uh, I still think we'll win, but... Um, uh, we, we'll we'll still uh, we'll we'll have some right challenges up until Easter April. I, I think I think one of the things that we've got in our favour, and it used to be said quite a lot about United, were was when people were challenging them that we've already been there and done it. We know how to do it. You know we've got a manager who knows how to do it regularly. Mm. Sarri's never won a trophy. I think Chelsea will be great. I think you watch them play; they're superb. Yeah. I, I, like they were at Napoli. You know, what I mean, the t- way he sets his team up is yeah, brilliant. I Love watching him. I couldn't believe he'd never won. A no, I know it's amazing, I was isn't it? With that. Yeah. So he's never won anything. So, you know, if he can step up and win something here, that that'd be fantastic for him and Chelsea, obviously. But, uh, you know, I think it's it's fair. To, I think Arsenal with the dark horses. I really do. I think it's really good that you mentioned those. I think I think they'll be the dark horses because they seem to have. You know, as you just alluded to, that little bit of toughness now as well. But they've got their strike force is pretty phenomenal as well. Mm. You know, yeah, I like um, those two. I like yeah. those two up front. Um, so, and I think Liverpool. I think Liverpool are the ones who are gonna. Um, you know, they have to produce again from last year, and and that's tough. I mean, it's they, so far um, they've not really. I, I think the, the difference between us and Liverpool, for example, for me, is the fact that we have. In that midfield, as an attacking midfield, as we have David Silva, Bernardo Silva, and Kevin De Bruyne, and can pick any of the two of those three. Yeah, they don't have one player who's as good as them. Them yeah. three at, that... at, 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 at opening up defenses. They've got some really good strikers. You know, the front three are very good. You know, yeah. um, but they don't really have that guile behind Agreed. them. That we Chelsea have. have got a better midfield than them. If you yeah. think about Liverpool's midfield, you've got Milner, Wijnaldum, and Henderson, or Milner, Wijnaldum, and Cater. That's not Fernandinho, Silver and Silver. In fact, Gundogan getting their side, whereas Chelsea with uh, um, Kovacic, Jorginho, Kante, they're even playing Barkley who's on a crest of a wave. That's a decent. That that really sets you. You're almost playing like City do a front six rather than a front yeah. three. Liverpool, it's your front three, and you're on your own, lads. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Champions League qualification is is very very close. Yeah. How are you feeling about that competition now? Well, well, I, I love it. I don't, you know, I don't care what other City fans think about it. I mean, and I don't care about, 
you know, what's gone on in the past. I, I think it's a, a competition. I want us to win. Um, it always comes, it always comes to second place to the Premier League for me. But um, I want us to win it. I want us to put ourselves on the map there. Really, um, it's really important that we do that. Um, and uh, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy seeing different teams coming to the mm. to the Etihad. Mm. I love, I love it when a diff- we, we draw different teams and they come and you can watch them play, mm. and we can go to away games and go to different grounds and different cities, yeah. um, which I love doing as well. So for me. It's my favourite thing, the Champions League. To be honest with you, for that. Yeah, I'm. I'm in terms of feeling about successing it. It's I, really opening up, it, isn't it? it? Because take, I mean, you look yeah. at some of the teams, the the top level teams. UEFA, UEFA, Europa League's going to end up being more difficult at this rate. The, the way they uh, the way they're dropping out. I I uh, I think this is our best opportunity Absolutely. to win it because I genuinely don't think Real Madrid will, given all the turmoil they're in. Bayern ba- Munich Barcelona again, haven't bought well. Bayern Munich are at sixes and sevens. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't put it past Mourinho to go on a run though. Uh, but I think that this is this is a really good chance. And it's funny, as much as uh, a lot of City fans hold that t- competition in disdain, it's funny what winning it will do for it. Will yeah. do for their opinions on it. And yeah. uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't imagine the the disdain and the distance that City fans uh, put between themselves and that competition will exist anymore if we were to win it or even get to the final. Well, talking of the, the Champions League, let's look at that match against Shakhtar and specifically the, the second goal. It was the main talking point, the penalty. Mm. What, what did you make of it? Well, I, I think I tweeted out um, straight afterwards or at half-time, whatever, if you've not sat there just laughing at the, how ridiculous it all is, then you really need to. You have no joy in your life because, basically, even from where I was stood, sat, I could tell that he'd, that he'd fallen over. You know, I could tell it wasn't a natural thing. He'd fallen over. We actually turned and him straight away and said, "Oh, he's fallen over. Oh, he's given a penalty, but he's fallen over." And we were miles away. So, what the third official's doing behind there, I've got no mm. idea. But the person who it's not whose fault it isn't is Sterling's. Guardiola went over and said to the fourth official, "That's a, you know we fell over." Um, but and people keep bringing up this fouler thing. They keep saying, "Oh well, he should have gone over and spoke to the referee and said mm. I fell over." Yeah. The referee had already given it, by the way. Um, but when the fouler one happened, the fouler went over and said, "I died, you know, I fell over," and yet he still had to take the penalty. So, you know, he'd have to still take <laughs> the penalty. It becomes a bit of a farce, really. It really does. But it, it was. Um... For anyone to 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 bring Raheem Sterling into this, um, they it says more about them than, than anybody yeah, else. Absolutely. He 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 tripped up. He did exactly the same in another game. I recall very well. Burnley at home. We were down to ten men. He was clear through. He tripped up. Luckily, the ball came to Aguero from a tight angle, and he put it in between the post and Michael <coughs> Keane. He he just simply tripped up. There was no dive, and to turn round and say, well, he didn't show class by saying to the referee. A tripped up. I've never heard anything so pathetic it's in my life. Did the guy at Wolves turn around and go, I handballed it in? Did any did did any of the United players say, Oh, it was handball when uh, when they weren't given when Newcastle weren't given a penalty against him? It happens five times a game, every challenge. I think uh, it's because it's Raheem. I think it's because it's been this week with everything that's gone on. I think it's because it's Manchester City. And that's not me doing the agenda thing. It just gives people something to talk about yeah, it's fairness, a lot easier when it's Raheem Sterling yeah though. in fairness I, I heard some some, uh, some uh, they were talking before about um, the Mourinho event the Juventus game right? yeah. I was listening to something on the Juventus United game 
and they were doing something similar. And I think this is more to do with the, how we the press look at stuff, really, the media. Oh, and and also they, I think they're responding to us in our social media as mm. well, so opposition fans and that. But they were talking about everyone was talking about Mourinho's disrespect to Juventus. They weren't talking about the fact that Man United had gone to away to Juventus and had a startling win. And they had. Yeah. They'd won 2 1. Eight, five minutes to go, they were 1 0 down, they win yeah. 2 1. And the only thing the press over here seemed to be back paging was Mourinho's response to it, classless and all. And then yeah. they turned to us, we were home. So it's not just City. It's not, I mean, that's, that's where it's not yeah. an agenda. What we're saying is the whole thing is it's all about um, you, you're looking to. to um, to criticise people or find a way of criticising footballers, managers and everything else mm. instead of just looking at it and it's what it is, which was he fell over and, yeah. and the referee made a mistake and that is it really. There's nothing more than I that. Th- just one point on that one. I think for me though, <laughs> and along the lines of, of everything that's gone on this week, but some of the of the tweets, not by supporters, no. by journalists, well-known journalists and well-known broadcasters, mm. Some of the tweets relating to Raheem Sterling's lack of class and already tarnished reputation. Yeah, that's awful. Isn't that it? is wholly inappropriate, really, really offensive. And actually, we know where that line of opinion comes from, and it isn't right at all. And a lot of a lot of people in the media have shown themselves up for what they are this week. Mm. What was the word redemption was used in one? You know, he, you know, he could have redeemed himself by. For mm. what? What's he done? Playing for yeah. Manchester City. Yeah. And, and like... the, the goal he scored was was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that, well, that was the thing, wasn't it? I mean, really, come on, that that was the talk. You're going to talk about Raheem Sterling last night. It was the fact that he tightly beat two defenders in midfield, yeah. sprinted, ran past two more, and hit an absolutely unstoppable shot. And it was absolute world class. Yeah. If, if you know, and, and so that's what you should be talking about. You know, you should be talking about that goal. Not not about the fact that he tripped over. He, he made a bit of he a was, fool of himself was, tripping over the turf. Yeah, and and then said sorry afterwards. By the way, you know he didn't sort of try and claim that. Yeah, they must you know, have missed that out. Sorry, of the media sorry media for reports. falling over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean <laughs> he didn't really need to do that. But yeah. you know, you speak to anybody who knows him at the club, and they will tell you that Raheem Sterling is one of the most, the nicest, most laid back. He'll give you time. He'll give you everything. You know, he's not the. I think some people just want to put him in this bracket of this rich, black, they want to, spoiled they want to athlete. Put, they want to put all footballers in that bracket. Yeah, but but the thing is, he's not. He's none of that. You know, anybody mm. who knows him says he's none of that. You know, yeah. he's he's one of those down to earth people you'll ever meet. Two goals and two assists versus Southampton for Sterling. He's one of the first names on the team sheet now, isn't he? Surely. Yeah. Yeah. I. I uh, it's. It's pretty weird really because we were having a conversation this summer around about the, the whole contract thing and I was going well actually if you had to sell Sané or Sterling this was in the summer and you had to we had played a game you had to <laughs> which one which one and uh, pretty much everyone I asked including myself said well you, it probably have to be Sterling because Sané's got the lot he's going to be brilliant fast forward to, to last night and I saw a tweet from uh, from someone who said at the moment, he's undroppable and he's our most important player in the in the front three. And my first reaction was to reply, which he often is, as Andy knows. <laughs> uh, and I stopped and I thought, do you know what? He is, because he is he is on fire. And then I thought, imagine him running at that their back four on Sunday. And I thought, he is, 
he would be one of my first names on that yeah. team sheet. He'd find you, he's it? been fantastic. And do you know what that that is? That's that is the point in case about getting a world class coach, not a manager, a director of football, not a spokesperson or a mouthpiece. Someone who's on the training ground and coaches someone and has that emotional engagement with someone that feeds right into them, understands them, and makes them a significantly better footballer. And boy, has Guardiola done that. He's twice the player he was under Pellegrini. Yeah, well, he's given... Uh, a given. Uh, he works a lot with Arteta, doesn't he, mm. Sterling? He's working a lot on his, in, on his work round the box and finishing. He's, he's so, quite, so it, first of all, he wants to work on it, and he's, he's willing to put the extra work in. And Guardiola's given him Arteta to work on it as well, and it seems to be paying off. Um, on when it comes to Sterling on on the training pitch, and translating that onto the Etihad or an away game, how do you think he's coped being able to to switch right and left this season? I I, I don't think it matters to these players. I think it probably matters a wee bit more to Sané. I think Sterling what. Guardiola's done is I, I think he's turned Sterling into someone who can play anywhere across the front. So not just left and right, he can also play centre-forward. Remember the derby away last season? He played centre-forward, Jesus played the false nine. Mm. And it, Sterling played centre-forward, he was absolutely outstanding. And uh, we didn't have a clue what was going on. It, neither did United, <laughs> which was good. It, so he, Guardiola has made... Sterling read the game a lot better to allow him to play in any one of those positions. Mm. I don't think Sané could play up front. Not not at the, not at the moment, but he's better off that left terrorising the fullback. Yeah, I, just, I just I just think what it does is it gives us an extra dimension uh, and an extra problem for the defenders on the opposition team because um, when you've got a player who you know, and this this came to the fruition last night with Mares really, when you've got a player that you know as a favoured side as a defender, you always try and take him that way. So you've got Sane on the on his left. You want to try and keep him down that left channel, not cut you know, and all this and the other. And, and so when he switches to the right, you don't want him coming inside. So it's all the time you have to think about your your body position and everything else, and all these. When Mares got that ball, I think it was the first goal last night. Yeah. And everybody knows he comes in on his left. Every all comes on his left, looking yeah. to get on his left, and all the defenders are thinking he's coming on his left here. He's coming on, his, and. And within a, a split gap. second, yeah. a split second, he just went to the right and he fooled everybody. I think half the stadium ended back outside. We had to come back in again, so he, he ended up going out and hitting, hitting him on his right foot, and nobody was near him. Well, from one end of the pitch to the other, uh, Edison had some pretty handy saves against Southampton more than in other games. Yeah, so it's nice to know that we need a goalie because. Uh, <laughs> He he he, uh, he doesn't really have a lot to do. Yeah, I, I thought I thought the free kick save last mm. night was actually um, a really good save. Probably a wee bit more difficult than than it may have looked at first glance. I thought the Southampton ones were okay. I don't think they'd have they'd have caused any any of the top keepers. Um, I think there is an underlying suspicion with some City fans. I wonder if he is that great at shot stopping because he never has to he's amazing with his feet and I just point them towards that save at Burnley away last season which was still the best save I've seen in a long long time the guy smashed it and he tipped it onto the bar uh, he's a he's a he's a he's the making of us he he signing him was probably the final piece for me he was a bit unlucky wasn't he with the penalty he was sold a bit short and shame shame to break his clean sheet record yeah, well, I mean, cheap run names on. Can I, I think, to be honest with you, I, yeah, he was sold a bit short, but I think he shouldn't have, didn't need to come. You know, he's, I think he had 
Stones was there. I think we had people covering in the middle. And I don't think he, I mean, I'm, I'm not a goalkeeper, you know, and I'm not like, but he just looked as though he was a bit. We, sometimes when you see a keeper coming that far, it's because he's got no option. And I felt, I might have to look at it a few times again more, but I felt looking at it a couple of times that he didn't need to come. Um, and, uh, but it is, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I think we, you know, we, we need him. You know, we, we everything we do, like Merz just said there, everything we just starts with him, being the player he is. And, um, he is a little bit, you know, against like Liverpool last year. You know, he does rush out sometimes. He does make mistakes, but tell me a player who doesn't. It's a bit more obvious when you're a goalkeeper. I always have sympathy for him because I think there's just basically it's all or nothing for them guys, isn't it? Um, but I think, yeah, I think he's, I think whether he's going to be a great shot stopper, I don't really care, to be quite honest with you, because without what he does with his feet, we can't do everything else. So it doesn't matter. You can put John Stones in next for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he'll just yeah. ping the ball around. He's big enough into, you know, he'll do an Quinn for us. But he can ping the ball either around as well. So I, I wonder if Edison could have come, got to that with his feet like he did against Harry Kane, against Spurs. Possibly. I don't know. But I, anyway. so But he's superb, by the way. I wouldn't swap him for anybody for no what chance. we need. For what we need. No chance. Gabriel Jesus has been blowing hot and cold recently, but hat-trick for him against Shakhtar. What will that do for him? I think uh, it'll do him the world of good, and I, I, I pray it does. I've not, I've I've been really worried about him. I, I mm. have been really worried about him, and that's not a criticism. I just think sometimes his expressions, his, his demeanour, he's looked a bit lost. Got to remember his, his age. You've got to remember how tough the Premier League is. You've got to remember that I've got to stop comparing him to Sergio Aguero like I compare, you know, lots of people to David Silva. Um, that'll have done him the world of good. He's a, he's a good striker. He's with the right manager. If he's ever going to be a great striker, he'll be with Pep. Uh, and it'll be in this division with those players. So, and and he will get plenty of chances. We're pretty much playing Aguero in the league games, him in the cup games. He'll get plenty of chances because we tend to go to the end of cup runs. So, yeah. um, I think he'll have opportunities. Put it this way: he'll play twenty-five to thirty games this season. There were two from the penalty spot against yeah. Shakhtar, but they were. Nicely dispatched with confidence as well, weren't they? Yeah, I think the first one wasn't. If I've, I've watched it a couple of times again, I think what pleased me was was his fir- the first penalty because he, he nearly fell on his backside. If you remember when he took it, so I think the first penalty, I think he was a uh, wasn't quite the, as clean a strike as he would have liked. However, I think once he scored that one, the second one was perfect, absolutely brilliant, one, brilliant. and then that led to the the confidence for that third goal, which was sublime. You know, and so. So I thought he was getting better as the game went on, but but the thing he's lacking is he can't play every game, and I think strikers sometimes they need to play every game, and it's never going to because we've got Sergio Aguero. Yeah. Nobody's ever going to play when Sergio Aguero's there. But but in fairness, I think with his age, he's a, he, he's obviously got the right temperament because when he does come and play, he gives everything. He yeah. does absolutely give everything, and you know, and hopefully, you know, he hopefully he's the guy to replace Sergio. I was going to say as well. One thing that that you can say for Gabriel Jesus, he's not just in a team where he's just expected to be the striker, is he? You know, there's a no. lot more to it in this system and and playing for Pep Guardiola that that you have to do when you when you're in yeah. that, that that role. Yeah. And 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 the summer was a point in case for Brazil. So that you know, Twitter was awash with people going, "Why is he still in the team? Why is 
Firmino not playing, you know, he's not scored. And yet you go into that squad, you go to the manager, you go to the players, you go to Neymar and say, why is he in the team? He took a lot of heat off that team. He took a lot of those balls a lot deeper. He played well. He won them what should have been a penalty against Belgium when company brought him down. Yeah. He, he, I thought he actually secretly had a half-decent World Cup. He does so much for the side. And he comes a do- lot deeper for City as well. He did last night, and he can drop. He can play out on the left He can whenever he plays with Aguero. So he has got a lot going for him. Ultimately, people like me will judge him on goals, which ultimately should be the, should be the, the be-all and end-all mm. in the end. But you can't, you can't overlook the fact that he does so much more 10 yards mm. deeper. Well, the Brazilian squad, apparently his nickname is The Phenomena, which tells you, you know, when Sabir calls The Phenomena in a Brazilian squad, tells you a little bit of something about what they think of him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because none of them are average, are they? Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's his nickname, apparently. There you go. Well, for all the attractive football City have played over the last season a bit, one of the biggest talking points of the last week has been how the team have become so-called masters of the dark arts. So, <laughs> are City a dirty side to go along with being one of the most entertaining the Premier League has ever seen? We put David Mooney on the case. It was in the post-match analysis of City's 1-0 win at Spurs where it all started to kick off. It's not just nice either. It's not just a football. Every time a team wins the ball back in counter-attacks, they foul you. That's Gary Neville speaking on Monday Night Football on Sky Sports. He explained how, in his view, City was so good at stopping counter-attacks. There's a lot of cynicism about this team as well, which actually, I like it, because the reality of it is they're clever with it as well. Fernandinho in particular, he must make... He must make 400,000 match for Nandino. The Totten Up process doesn't exist for Nandino. Actually, he just brings people down regularly, but does it in a nice way, sort of just a little talk, and then, then doesn't hold on. He just trips people up and he just gets away with it and he picks them up and he's nice and smiles and the referee says, oh, no problem with that. Neville went on to say it shouldn't be celebrated, but that those cynical fouls to stop breakaways are a clever way to keep City on top in matches. But when those comments were put to the City manager ahead of Sunday's match with Southampton, Pep Guardiola wasn't happy with the assessments. I'm not completely, I'm not completely new with that. We are a team like uh, we try to play, and of course sometimes there are a counter-attack and make a fall. Sometimes the action is a contact, so we are not, of course, not a, a team like we don't think about that. But never in my teams are focused about to make something wrong for to make the opponents. The situation happened. But we are a team always attacked to try to attack, to defend well, to try to play our game. I never thought you have to do that to avoid what they do. The City boss went on to say it's not a tactic that he endorses, explaining how he sets his team up to play. Never happened in my career and never will happen in my career because I understand the game in a different, completely agreeing approach. So to be aggressive without the ball, stay high, defend high, defend a lot of spaces our back, and try to make the best football the best football as possible to win the games. Guardiola says any fouls on opponents as they try to break are simply a consequence of his team pressing high up the field and are not something that he encourages. He'd rather win the ball back and create another chance. The possession in the attempts for itself, for possession, for numbers is nothing if you don't create chances and you concede absolutely nothing. That is our target. But I'm not completely agree with that comment that we are a team looking for these kind of situations. 
because it never happened in Barcelona, never happened in Bayern Munich, never happened in City, and never will happen in the future in my career. Never. But Guardiola does admit that his team commits fouls. He just says the intention isn't to bring an opponent down when they try to counter. I'm not discovering a secret in all of you. When we, the opponent has the ball, we are going to push them, we are going to press them to gain the ball to attack more. That is the, the main thing. But the people has to know, and Gary Neville knows perfectly Blue was a former player, the opponents play too. And sometimes it's dribble and you arrive late and you're down, you make a fall. Yeah, it's happened. So I don't say we are not making falls or we are having falls, no. None of that though isn't to say that City aren't afraid to make the cynical foul when need be. Vincent Company was booked in the match with Fulham for pulling down an opponent as he tried to break past him on halfway when the score was still at 1-0. Last season there were reports that the FA were concerned City were becoming badly behaved after the FA Cup loss at Wigan. On Sunday, Sergio Aguero was booked for dissent, kicking the ball away after being penalised for handball, and he's not the first of the Guardiola reign to see yellow for petulance. During Manuel Pellegrini's final two campaigns, nobody was carded for dissent. In Guardiola's first two, seven yellows were shown. Speaking to the Sunday supplement, Daily Mail journalist Adam Crafton says it's about knowing what they can and can't get away with. What happened in Pep Guardiola's first season? they started picking up quite a lot of red cards in the first half of that season. And actually Fernandinho, who everyone has been praising this week as the master of the dark arts, also I think he was sent off two or three times before New Year's Day um, in that first season. What Pep's backroom staff started doing was they actually started watching videos of, ref of referees and how they referee English football compared to Spanish football and German football. Crafton thinks that analysis is just an aspect of the so-called marginal gains. They can be the difference between winning and losing. They worked out which fouls they felt their players could get away with in a way that they would also be able to get through a game without picking up too many cards. And what you're seeing now is a team that is incredibly smart. They make fouls in the right places. Fernandinho has developed the skill of, making, of probably making six or seven little niggly fouls before you Tactical fouls. Tactical fouls. He says it's nothing new either. The best teams have always done that. The best Italian teams, Pep's Barcelona team did it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just understanding the laws of the game, you know, researching how a referee referees a game is actually as can be as intelligent as looking at the opponents. So I don't think there's any issue with it. And ultimately Guardiola says his team isn't dirty. Normally when the guy has 65 or 70% of the ball, so I said many times, we cannot kick the opponent. We can kick each other, okay, but we have the ball. But normally when you have 10 minutes, in seven minutes you have the ball, you have less options to make falls, you do have the ball, and that is the target. So I don't know statistics, but I don't think so. We are the team who make a lot of falls. The manager reiterated that making those sorts of cynical fouls isn't by design. In fact, he almost hinted that breaking the game up like that wouldn't help his team either, because he wants to catch the opponents out of position. Never in my life, Never in my life in one meeting, in one idea. I said to my players, you have to do that to make progress to the opponents, to not let them be who they are. We don't want to, if you have the ball, I'm going to you to take the ball to play again. Take the ball to play again. That is the main thing. Of course, it's not in Guardiola's interest to admit that his team have a dirty streak about them, if that's what it can be called. After all, if he were to say as much, then it would draw attention for referees, and the chances are they wouldn't get away with it for much longer. In a perfect world, the city manager is right. It's better to win back the ball and restart your own attack than give away a free kick when making a challenge on an opposition counter. But let's be honest here, we don't live in a perfect world. Sometimes you just have to do what must be done.
Hi, it's Nicky Weaver, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. David Mooney looking at Manchester City as the so-called masters of the dark arts. Do you think City are more adept at tactical fouls than other teams? Possibly, but it, you've just said it's an art. Um, <laughs> I, other teams other teams do it. Other teams do it. I've seen it with my own eyes. I tell you, you used to do it a lot. Liverpool in the 80s used to do it an awful lot, especially yeah, yeah, yeah. in the big games. United used to do it an awful lot with Ince and Keane. Um, so it's happened. It's nothing new. Again, it just feels like because it's Manchester City uh, that... The, you know, and I, and I actually, I, I saw that Gary Neville interview and he said the thing I love about them. That was the start of his sentence was the thing I love about them. Yeah, but he still got it out there. Yeah, he still got it out there, absolutely. <laughs> but the th- the thing, the, the amount of times I've turned to you in a crowd, Andy, and gone, glad he did that, sensible. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. I'm not being funny, but you, you, even at lo- much lower levels than that, you know when to do that. You take one for the team and all this, that and the other. We've all been there. I've probably been there more than most of them. Yeah. Um, but the thing is as well is that the dark arts for me was when you used to do that with a full-blooded tackle and take somebody out, um, which happened to Kevin De Bruyne was it last yeah. season. Um, when Crystal he just, Palace. Crystal Palace. That's dark arts. What Fernandinho is the main target here, obviously. What he's, David Silva, by the way, he does it really well. Yeah, he does. Mm. But, but the Fernandinho one is... Um, He's the thing that we do differently than these dark arts, what I call dark arts, where you take players out, is we actually try and stand up while we're tackling because what they're trying to do is nick the ball off you mm. and then take it away. Now, if they can't get to the ball, then they nick your foot and you go, but you stay up on your feet. If you stay up on your feet, you're less likely to get a card because it's seen as more of a tack, foul stroke obstruction rather than, and that's yeah. where the cleverness comes in. It's not. A full-blooded, you, or you pull. You, you know, we've never pulled shirts. We're not pulling shirts. We're not getting. We're not getting yellow cards. We just try to get our leg round to get yeah. the ball, and if we get the ball, then great. And if yeah. we don't, we don't. But every every ex-pro I've seen on the TV in the last two weeks since he said that has said, yeah, it happens, and, and rightly so. Yeah. Um, how does City reduce the pressure on Fernandinho this season? Uh, just by resting him really as much as you can. I, mean, I think. Um, I think having the ball helps really, which is what we're very good at. I think having the ball helps a lot with him because all he does then is stand around waiting for us to lose it most of the time, doesn't he? Because um, he gets there for those little channel passes from Stones or Laporte or something, but then he gives it to Bernardo or whoever, mm. uh, David, and off the off the Jollywell go like, you know, yeah. playing wonderful football, and he just stays there and goes. And, and, and again, when the full-backs go, he just sidles across to their side and just covers it a little bit. He's just... I mean, the thing is, he doesn't have to move as much as some people think for his 33 years because he's so clever. His movement is so clever. He knows exactly the areas he's got to be. He's in. a fantastic footballer. The, the, the yeah. last, I think the last time we were on was just before the first game of the season at Arsenal. We were talking about him and we talked about our summer transfer business. And I know Andy and I had fallen out about this, about the fact that <laughs> we, sh- we should have we should have got someone. And I fully, well, to the point where I think we're all. It's a widely held belief that we're going to get someone, maybe two people, uh, in January for that position. So to look after him is to bring someone in in January because we don't half play a load of games in between January and May. Yeah, yeah. Uh, however, Andy's right. We just need to pick and choose our games with him. Yeah. Well, we will see how that one pans out. Yeah. Uh, and I hope you're right, Murd. <laughs>
because I, I, I totally agree with you there. I think someone coming in would be a big help for Fernandinho. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it is the big one. It is the preview for this weekend's Manchester derby here on the Blue Moon podcast. Last season, there were 19 points between the two sides come the mm. end of it. Mm. Has the gap got bigger since, do you think? No chance. No. no. The gap. The gap's not got bigger. I think we we are a better side because of our defence. I think they've still got the same old problems and the tendency to knock it long. But Mourinho's thirst for getting points here, there and everywhere, as has been shown in the last four games, means that that we uh, they will still be in the top four in my book and they won't be 19 points behind us in my view. Well, have you noticed that the, the uh, since Lukaku has been injured, they seem to be <laughs> injured. Do we need to do the inverted commas sign? Yeah, injured. probably. Yeah. But um, but they seem to have what I think a lot of United fans were crying out for, which is the pace and movement that they need up front to to scare defenses. Um, I think I've long long been a, an admirer of Martial. I think he's been uh going through a really bad patch and some of that's down to his form some of it's down to Mourinho but the percentages I don't know none of us will ever know whether it's down to him or what part's down to Mourinho um, but he's always been a talented player he's always been one of those players that as a defender if he runs at you quick with quick feet you're going to be panicking a little bit and you're going to be you know and I think Rashford's always shown he's got a bit of pace and mm. everything else he's, he's a bit like Jesus really mm. Jesus with the, with the fact that he's um, still a bit young and raw you know, he misses opportunities where he should be, you know, like a cool, cold killer yeah. like Aguero. You know, he's, they're not neither of them are anywhere near that stage yet. Um, so he's a bit, but he's quick and he causes you problems and he's direct. Um, I was going to say, I'd, ra- as well. I'd rather have Lukaku playing than, than Rashford, if yeah, I'm totally we, honest. Yeah, we, would, yeah. we were all praying that they wouldn't that they wouldn't ditch Lukaku, but, but they have. Yeah. And lo and behold, it, it's worked out. To answer your question, are they a bet? They're, they're, a they're, a better, they're a better side than they were last month, and that's a worry because they're coming into form. As in, I always I, worry I, about derbies. But 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 we've got two of the quickest fullbacks you can get your hands on. So that's Marshall and Rashford. It's just playing Sanchez in that false nine or whatever they call it these days. That's what our two centre halves have got the got to have the head screwed on for as well. And it de- all depends which Pogba turns up. The Pogba in the first half against us at Main, uh, main Road, at <laughs> uh, 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 the Etihad, was awful. The second half, he wanted to run the show. Hopefully we'll see the uh, the, the first one. Does the fact that it, it is a derby level the playing field be- between yeah, the two sides? Always does, yeah. Always. always will do, you. Yeah. And, and by the way, it did when we were rubbish. You know what I mean? When we were rubbish, yeah. it was. I mean, United aren't rubbish, by the way. The, the thing is, is that we'd all like to say they're rubbish and we'd all like to dismiss them and all this, that and the other. But mm-hmm. let's be honest here, they've got some really talented footballers there and they've got a really good manager who's been there and done it. I think the thing is, we have to impose ourselves on them again, straight from the off, not let them have the ball and frustrate them a little bit. But then we have to be guarded, a bit like, like you say, with Sanchez there. You know, um, this is where... I thought it was really good that we got so many goals up on Wednesday because um, you're talking about their main dangers there. Um, Walker came off after an hour to give him a rest because he's got Marshall to face on Sunday. Uh, Fernandinho came off and he's got Sanchez running from deep and he'll probably end up having to do a few of those little fouls on him. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> and Dave, yeah. And then you've got... Um, and uh, what's it came off as well? Dave came off and... Um, you need well, he's like you need him to be full of energy, don't you? Yeah. Uh, and everything. So I thought for the one of the 
best things about last night was that ability to take those three off and give them a bit of a rest. Assuming that all their players played right till the death, I would imagine. So, Well, Sterling and Sane are, are a lot of fans' favourites, but for the big games, Guardiola's gone with, with Mares. What do you expect he'll do and, and what do you want him to do? What I want him to do is is pick his, his first-choice side. Do you think Which, we saw that against Southampton? Yeah, so, so it's Sane, Sterling and Aguero. The two silvers, because Kev's not there, with Fernandinho. Walker, uh, we'll come to him in a minute. Walker, Stones, Laporte. For me, I'd play Delph. I would play Delph in the derby. And I know that sounds madness because we just talked about Martial's pace, but I don't believe Mendy's had a good two or three games. It's a concern. He can, he can, he can really cause United a problem, but if his positional sense is the same as it was in the, in the Spurs and the Southampton games then I think whatever pace he's got, it won't matter because Marsh will be away. So I'd actually go with Delft for the derby. I know that might be controversial, but everything else picks itself. I wouldn't play Mares. I wouldn't do anything daft like putting Silver in the front three and playing Gundogan or anything fancy like that. And in terms of what we do, we go at them full pelt in the first half, like we always do, and like teams always do. They get great joy. And then what we do then is, we do what we did at Anfield, take the steam right out of the game in the first 20 minutes of the first half, first 20 minutes of the second half. We just need to do that in the second half. But I know it's all right me saying this, sat in Salford Keys, but we've got the players to do it. Media City. Sorry. Yeah. Andy, do you agree? I do, t- yeah, it's very do much you, what I've said. Yeah, yeah, I do on certain things, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but um, apart from the Mendy thing, and, and you know I'm not a big fan of him defensively yet, I don't think he's proved to me that he's the best left-back we've got yet, honestly. He's the best left-wing left wing back we've got. Um, he's great going forward. I'd Like Murd said there, he's, you know, positionally sometimes I'm out of my seat saying, you know, but, but I think we've got to attack him, I think we've got to go at him. And I think that we need him for that. And I think the thing is, is that when you look about what we've got as fullbacks, then you look at their right fullback, and he's not even a right fullback. And however, a good little job he's doing there, um, having Sane and Mendy running at him, and I'm not sure, maybe Rashford on that right hand side mm-hmm. coming back to help. I think we'd, we we should be stacked up there on that side. Um, Sane, with his pace running at Ashley Young, should be a oh yellow my. card waiting to happen. Well, really. well, you may see a lot of tactical fouling in that game, Andy, but not for the boys in blue. <laughs> Interesting, you mentioned that you'd, you'd rather see Mendy um, and yeah. you'd rather see City attack. One thing Guardiola did mention recently when he was talking about defending was he prefers them this time around to to, to defend higher up the pitch because yeah. basically, you, you know... you. You defend further up the pitch, there's less chance of them getting into your half and yeah. getting into those dangerous areas. Yeah. Surely with Mendy, he's going to be further up the pitch, isn't he? So yeah. he's going to do the defending there, is he not, Murd? Yeah. yeah, my only worry is that what they can play in that space behind him. That that's, That is my big worry yeah. with him. And, I mean, and, the thing and, is, he's and, got and, a and, pace and don't, on it. Don't forget, we're talking about a Southampton side who I'm tipping to go down. They're a really poor side. They've not got the best coaching staff. They're not well organised. They got down there in that second half three, four, five, six times, right? United already have a tendency to play the longer ball over the top. It doesn't always have to be to Fellaini and Lukaku. It can be over the top to Rashford and Marshall. If Mendy's not disciplined, and to be fair, he was at Anfield, actually. But against Spurs and against Southampton, he wasn't so... Well, hopefully that's the one that turns up, isn't it? And the thing is, you you know, for me, I think we've got... Because we're at home, 
think we've got to push and we've got to press and we've got. I think when you talk about defending them from a really um, from the halfway line, basically, the game that always comes to mind with me for this is the Burnley game when we were two nil uh, when Fernandinho got sent off after twenty odd minutes, and we basically pushed everybody up and we played in their half and we played five a side football in their half because we only had ten men and we wouldn't let them realise we only had ten men. And they, we ended up winning the game, if you remember. And I saw Burnley players throwing their hands in the air in despair because we were just one touch of football around them in little triangles and then going down the channels and all this that, and the other. And they couldn't get the ball. And that's that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to keep it there. And if they play the long ball, Edison will come out, trap it with his left foot, flick it over to his right, onto his left again, put it onto mm, his shoulder, onto his other shoulder, <laughs> and then volley it right up to Stoke to uh, what's it? <laughs> I'm going to throw this at you both. Guardiola is yet to win a home derby. I know we haven't we haven't won a home derby in four years. Um, About time. So it? have you thrown that at me to make me even what, more miserable? What do you make, what do you make of that? <laughs> um, I I I I can't read anything into it because I know his record against Mourinho in Spain was half decent, and I know his record at Old Trafford. He's pretty good. We lost that League Cup game where we played the kids. That doesn't really matter in my mind. So it doesn't really matter to me. Um, as long as we win the league, it doesn't matter to me. It's painful for the first few hours after it, but as long as we win that league again, the yeah. bigger picture is that it's all about the trophies. This is a real chance, isn't it, Andy, to, to put a marker down after a, a string of big and, and impressive results. I mean, the only goal City have conceded in the last seven was a penalty, for instance. So this is a massive opportunity. Yeah, of course it is. And, and you know, we'll be right up for it, won't we? I, the bottom line is is that it's a derby. The bottom line is is that we need three points. Um, so, um, I, you know, I, I don't see it as... It's, it's not as... I don't think they'll challenge us for the title. I think United will be there or thereabouts. But I don't think... I, think, I don't think United have got that... Um, uh, that sustainability to go all the way this year, maybe next season, maybe next season when they've built again and gone again. But mm-hmm. I don't think they're quite the finished article yet. Um, but but they can beat anybody. Like I've said before, they can beat anybody on the day and they can beat us. And we just need to be right at it from the very, very beginning uh, to the end, to the 96th minute or whatever it is. Andy mentioned there that um, they're not, they're not, he doesn't think that they're going to, Challenge City for for the Premier League. Do you find it strange how the power in the city has changed so dramatically in your lifetime? Yeah, I think it's. I think that happens with the the managerial appointments. So when after Fergie went, we all rejoiced because we suspected it'd never be the same again. Doubt I doubt any of us thought it'd be this bad for them. When they appointed Mourinho, I thought mm, he wins things. I didn't realise, I thought, I think he's underperformed. I, I, I do, and I think in order for United to go again, as Andy said, they've got to get the players out who don't want to be there, and that's been widely widely documented who they are. But it's, the only problem they've got is that that appears to be different players every week. So they've got a choice to make. They either get rid of the manager or they get rid of those players that are stinking the place out and get some other players in. But again, the only problem for United is the players that they have brought in it's not working. He doesn't play Lukaku now. He doesn't like Bailey. He's had problems with Lindelof. So I'm not sure. They won't challenge this season because there's too much going on behind the scenes. But go on a run, and I expect them to get in the top four. But they've done, they've 
nine points gap or whatever it is. I just think it's too much at the moment. So I, I'm not surprised. I think when we appointed Guardiola and they appointed Mourinho, I think that was huge. They had to get that appointment right. And I personally, I never tire of telling everyone this, that if I was United, I'd have gone with Pochettino for the just the longer term rather than Mourinho. Anthony Taylor, um, oh, Altrincham's number one fan, has been appointed as yeah. the referee for this one. A lot of City fans generally not happy about yeah. that. <laughs> what do you make well, of it? Well, I mean, come on. Like, what they are is, and I, and no, I don't know 100%, but there's all these rumours that he's a United fan. He comes from a family United fan in Withenshaw. And, um, <laughs> and I don't know for sure whether that's 100% true. Um, a lot of people seem to think it is. However, let's flip it on the other side, right? The flip of the other side is is that the amount of pressure that he's going to get from that crowd on mm. on Sunday, with everything that's gone around, is ridiculous. After he's given the uh, the second yellow second yellow to uh, <laughs> to Stones, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But 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 you know that's the thing though, isn't it? But it, but the thing is is if he gets anything slightly wrong, he's got fifty thousand screaming at him, hasn't he? You know, and I don't know what sort of personality he is, but he's he's either going to. Uh, get the hunt with us and give everything to United, in which case he's going to absolutely show to mm. people who think he's a United fan that, look at him, he's giving everything to United, he's a United fan, and he's just going to cement that then, isn't he? He yeah. can't get away from that. Or he's going to think, actually, you know, I better be careful here. And we don't, and you know, he's that's a, you know what, I feel sorry for him in the way that the, that the FA have put him in that yeah. position. I was just going to say exactly right. the that, same that, thing. That's the biggest, that's yeah. the biggest... That's because because they put him in a situation where they know what the fact you know that City fans believe he's a United fan they and all this and the other and they've gone you know what there's a derby lad and he's like oh thanks um, so, so this could go two ways and none of them look good so, so even even putting aside the 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 rumor that he's a Manchester United fan uh, or, or you know and some people have it on absolutely cast iron authority that he is a Manchester United fan. And he's from Withenshaw and his family are big reds, etc. I just look at you it. You seem convinced there, Murder. <laughs> yeah, it's almost as if I know that for a fact. Um I, I look at the the the, the ref- I've seen many, many bad refereeing performances involving us. Both ways probably, but certainly against us. But one of the ones that sticks out is Chelsea at home a couple of seasons ago. That yeah. wasn't just bad. They were match-defining. We got battered in the end, by the way. Diego Costa and Hazard were unplayable that day, so don't get me wrong. But he made match-defining decisions that were that clear it could only lead me to think two things. One of them is that is is just completely incompetent, and then the other, we won't go down that line. It was that poor. It still stands out in the memory now. Along with the rumours... And along with the fact that it's a Manchester derby, so it's a powder keg, as they say, for the FA to appoint him. And by the way, you, you know, City complained about that refereeing performance after that. And Pep, I think it, Pep got put on the naughty step for it as well. To, to the sheer idiocy of putting that referee in charge well, of that it's game. It's not the FA actually, is it? It's the, it's the, 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 the referees, referees, the referees bodies, yeah. yeah, the referees yeah. association yeah. Uh, that's run by Mike Riley. There's a different podcast. Uh, for you, it is just is is just shocking on every conceivable level. It's it's a really poor idea, and I agree with Andy to a point that he can't really, he can't he can't really afford to put any step out of line because that crowd will be will be baying. 
baying for him. So it's an all-round bad appointment. And on a, on a slightly more sinister note, the refereeing performances in derbies create a really bad atmosphere before, during and after the game. So it's not a really good decision all round, really, for, 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 for everyone concerned. I'd have given that a wide berth and, and maybe, I don't know, given it to the best referee in the, in the Premier League, whoever that is. Oliver, probably, I think. Yeah, he's the refereed best. us before. He's probably the best ref for me, Oliver. Yeah. Well, we've won £295 on the podcast in our charity bet so far this season, so it is time to find out if we can add to the total with the Manchester derby. William Hill is giving each member of the panel a £10 single, with the winnings going to the specialist cancer hospital in Manchester, the Christie. Uh, Fellas, David Mooney has gone for a 3-1 City win, which is 9-1 with Hills, Uh, so £90 could be added to the pot. Andy? Well, I'm going to go 2-0 to City, only because um, I think that's the most uh, likely result based on, uh, I don't know, luck <laughs> more than anything. I can't, honestly, based on current form, uh, you mean? Well, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I can't say, I hopefully won't consider. I, I, I don't know, it's a really difficult one a derby, isn't it? But I'd like to say 2-0 because I think that's most likely to try and win some money for the charity, but... I'm not, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put money on it myself. And just to, that's two two nil to City. Two yeah. nil. That yeah. is thirteen to two with William Hill, which means sixty five pounds could be going in the pot. Murd, uh, I'm going for one all. Do you want to know the scorers in the times? <laughs> Rashford will equalise in the seventy ninth minute. We'll score first with Aguero, and then when they <laughs> score, we won't see the ball again. Uh, and they'll get a man sent off just after they scored. It'll be one all. <laughs> And do you know what? I'd settle for that. I'd settle for that because I don't like them very much. Um, <laughs> one all, eight to one, which means eighty to quid one. could be going in the pot. Remember, you've got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, head over to begambleaware.org. Now, this year's Manchester derby takes place on Remembrance Sunday. Twenty eighteen marks a century since the armistice was signed at the end of the First World War and a time when football was still developing as a sport. The FA insisted that football would continue during the war while players were professional and under contract. They were encouraged to sign up to serve king and country. David Mooney, Richard Burns and Dan Burke are taking a look at the City players who were lost. Frank Hesham began his football career at Gorton St Francis before joining City in 1897. Now, he didn't really establish himself at City and he retired and worked as a clerk in Manchester before the war. He then signed up in November 1914 but was killed in action in Belgium six months after being deployed. George Brooks could be considered very unlucky. He died just three days before the November armistice was signed. His first professional game was for City, that was in 1910 and his debut ended as a one-all draw with Aston Villa at Hyde Road. Brooks only played a handful of games for City before moving on, first to Bury and then to Derby. He signed up as a private and by late 1918 had been promoted to Lance Corporal. He died in a military hospital on the French-Belgian border. Pat Maguire joined the army as a private in late 1914 or possibly early 1915. No one actually knows for sure when it was. Um, he was one of those who survived the opening day Battle of the Somme, but he was killed in October 1916 in a poorly planned attack near Fleur in France. Um, he was only 28 when he died and his body was never found. Both Tom Farrell and Jack Yule were killed in July 1916. Yule made three appearances for City and Farrell was about a year into his service with the armed forces when he died. Both are remembered on the Threepfell Memorial to the Missing at the Somme. 
Sandy Turnbull was part of the Manchester City team that won the club's first ever silverware. That was the 1904 FA Cup. Uh, he served with the Manchester Regiment in the trenches in Arras in France. Uh, he was shot three times leading a battalion to the village of Cherisey. And uh, though initial reports said he was captured and in a German field hospital, his death was confirmed in a letter to his wife, a letter that referred to him as a father to us all. One of the players who had a very interesting but very tragic story was a guy called Jimmy Conlin. He died at the age of 35 in June 1917 in Flanders. Um, he was only the second ever player to cost a thousand pounds when City bought him and his debut for the club was really quite bizarre. Um, he, he made his first appearance in a game against Woolwich Arsenal in September 1906 and there was a big heat wave in Britain at the time. Um, several players had to retire from the game with heat exhaustion and Conlon actually collapsed himself at one point but he, he came back on to finish the match. Um, typically City lost the game 4-1 of course. Tom Callahan played a handful of games for City in 1908 and he was one of six people killed in a large-scale trench raid in February 1917 and he was hit by a German shell as it was ongoing. A sergeant in his unit wrote to his brother to explain what had happened and in the letter which was published in the local newspaper he said, I can't say enough for him. I only wish I was as fine a man. Frank Booth had retired from football before he signed up. He had two spells with City. The first ended when the club were punished for overpaying their players. The maximum wage at the time was £4, but some of the squad were paid uh, in excess of £6. Booth was wounded in action on the Western Front and died in hospital in 1919. Another player called Julius Gregory, uh, he was actually killed in hand-to-hand -hand combat uh, during an attack on High Wood. Um, he was one of the 390 casualties of that battle actually. Um, and he's remembered on the Thiepval Memorial to the Missing at the Somme. Now not much is known about William Wallace but he played for both Bolton and Manchester City. He joined the Royal Engineers in the British Army but was killed in action in November 1917 in Flanders. This is the Blue Moon Podcast, facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Unfortunately, we have come to the final part of this week's episode of the Blue Moon Podcast. It is all about you, though. You get your questions in for Ask the Panel. If you want to get them in for next week, drop us a tweet at Blue Moon Podcast, or you can email through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. The first comes from P.F. Schofield on Twitter. Could you continue to support the club if they took part in a breakaway elite clubs only Super League? For me, that would be the end. Um, yeah, I can, yeah. But the only difference would be my attendance. I'd still support us. What games I'd go to, I'd pick and choose. I wouldn't be happy with it. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't want it to happen. Um, but I can't ever, I can't support anybody else. So I'll always be a City fan. Mm. You know what I mean? You can't go anywhere else with that, can you? So, um, but I probably wouldn't attend as much uh, because I'd be, it'd be the same teams. And also, I, and, and this is a, is a really important point for anybody who's, who's been to away games in Europe. We've been to Barcelona a few times, Bayern Munich a few times. And we've all sat there when we've drawn Bayern Munich and Barcelona yet again and, and said, so we're not go this time because we've been you know so many times mm. so we just give it a bit so we wait save our money for the next round if we get if we get through um or the next leg you know or the next you know gate whatever and 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 that's because and that's what you'll do you'll think you know what I've been there if they had a super league I've been there because you, you got to fly you got hotel bills you got it's not just going to a game is it like you can you know so well, it's a little holiday isn't it yes and you can't afford city that break. i mean this is yeah. a working class game let's have it right mm -hmm. this is it should be a working class game and it should be available home and away 
Obviously, away is always going to be different, but it should be a working-class game. I'm right in thinking, though, that this supposed breakaway Super League is to replace the Champions League? <clears throat> uh, no. So, no? Uh, no, so the the this this recent leak uh, is around them forming their own leagues that's going to be played on Tuesday, Wednesdays and Saturdays, as, as I understand it. And I, I'd, I'd still support support City and go to the odd away game. Um, but it it dilutes it significantly for me. the The thing about all of this is most parts of it aren't aren't new. So the, this European Super League has been muted for years. The compromise by UEFA and FIFA and whoever was the Champions League. That's not working now because they've still got teams in there that get battered. I mean, if you look at those eight groups or how many groups there are, seven or eight, seven or eight of it, or six or seven of them are already decided now. So there's no fun. So they want to take the cream off the top and put them in a league, the teams that get the most TV viewers. Okay. It won't happen instead of the Premier League. What you might see is the Champions League go and you might get this Super League. You, you might absolutely get it in two or three years, but it won't be instead of the Premier League because the Premier League makes too much money as well. It'll be instead of the Champions League. But in terms of the games we go to, as Andy says, we long for those games against Hoffenheim and Lyon where we've not been before. What we don't long for is to play Bayern Munich and we don't long to play Barcelona. And that sounds really bad in a way because it's what we've always wanted. But when you've been three times, you don't really want to go again. Fair enough. Amy Booth has emailed in, should footballers be forced to wear a poppy and opt out if they don't want to? Or should they have to opt in to wearing one? No. So the the this has all gotten completely out of hand. This. So I'm a big believer in respecting everybody who 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 went to war on behalf of this country. However, I'm an even bigger believer in people having the choice to do what you want. So it doesn't matter to me if James McLean or or Nemanja Matic wear a poppy. It's entirely their choice. And actually, they've both got very uh, clear and obvious and respectful reasons for not doing so. Yeah, so I've not got a problem with it. I think it, I don't mind the poppy on the shirt, and it's great. If you've got a squad of twenty match people on a match day, and seventeen were wearing them, and then three haven't, that's fine. You just, as a club, you get your shirts done with the poppy before the game, a few days before the game. Are you having a poppy on yours? Yeah, 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 yeah. Then, then do it. But yeah. it's become a thing. But it's become a thing because of social media mm. and. Uh, and uh, I, I, I don't really know that many people who've got a problem with it, really, at all. Yeah. I, I don't. And everyone has the choice to do what they want. And therefore, if they want to wear a poppy, great. I would if I was them and wearing one now, as you can see. But the lads that don't, fair play to them. It's entirely up to them. Yeah, I mean, I've, uh, I think it was five years ago, James McLean made his statement. He explained his circumstances. And even though I'm a poppy wearer, even though I'm somebody who believes in remembrance, because again, what we're remembering for me, and this is what some people, you know, they all have, everyone has, is free to choose what they think the remembrance sub is about, and everything that leads up to it. But, but for me, it's about the the lives of the young people, young men who went to war, who were conscripted to go to war. By the way, they didn't all put their hand up, and some of them did, but they were they went to war to save their country in their eyes, and they died. And and they they've given us the country that we've got now, so and these are all working class lads like us. It could have been us in a different era. Could have been yeah. us. So, for me, that's my thanks. I you know I wear a poppy to say thanks very much for that, and all this, and also to remind me of the horrors of war, 
because they, you know that's another thing that we sometimes should be doing it for, for all the right reasons. Uh, McLean has quite clearly stated that th that because of his upbringing, he can't wear a poppy. And if you read it, and you are a human being with any sort of understanding of human nature, and you can't understand that, then that's your problem, not his. Well, that is it for this week's show, but never fear. If you want to hear us banging on a little bit more about the Manchester Derby, then head over onto our Patreon page. We rely on you guys who back the show to be able to get into the studio each week and put together all of the interviews and features you've heard throughout the season. If you back for $2 a month or more, you can hear our weekly bonus show, plus read regular blogs by David Mooney and Richard Burns. That works out at an extra 40 or 50 minutes of the Blue Moon podcast for your money each month. This week's show is about our best Manchester derby moments as City prepare to take on United on Sunday. Thank you once again to my two wonderful studio guests, Andy. Thank you very much. And Murd. Thank you very much. And once again, thank you for listening. Fingers crossed for a wonderful weekend. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. He's made notes. I have, yeah. You have not made notes. You haven't got a memory like me, have you? You've got like a young memory. It's nice. Don't do that. I'm taking the No, you're not For taking the, the piss. No, you're not. Nerdy's, Just because I'm old, that's Nerdy's old this, taking mate. pictures ages of that, pal. That's oh, ages okay. in that, mate. Right, okay. We're ready, guys. Just because you're young and stud-like. Anyway, go on. That is brilliant. <laughs> that is ace. Yep. You revised the GCSEs, didn't you? <laughs>